You may have noticed something about the name Knight Frank, the second of those two words in particular. Frank. We've always prided ourselves on being just that with our clients, and never more so than now. So if you're thinking of selling or letting your home, contact your local Knight Frank office. We'll give you a frank opinion of its value, frank advice on the best pricing strategy, and a frank estimation of how quickly it will sell or let. What else would you expect from Knight Frank, your partners in property? Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast in the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts, their clients and our partners. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today, I'm joined by James Cleland, head of the Home Counties region and the incoming head of our country business. James and I had such a great and inspiring conversation about his brief stint working at Euro Disney in Paris, why he believes that being a people person is the key ingredient for success in the property industry, and what advice he would give to anyone looking to follow a similar career trajectory. James began his career at Knight Frank back in our Isha office in 1995, and has spent the past 25 years selling some of the most incredible homes in the home counties. Starting out as a junior negotiator, James rose up the ranks to join our country department in 2006 before becoming a regional partner for North Surrey and then the home counties. Now he's about to take on his biggest challenge yet, heading up our country business. James, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Becky, good morning. How are you doing today? How's your week been? Yeah, very good, thank you. Busy. Um, we're in lockdown, so I'm I'm at home. I'm speaking to you from home. Um, our offices are open, but I'm what I call a roamer. So I go from office to office, so I've, I'm keeping out of the way. Yeah, it's probably a very good idea with this new strain sounding as horrendous as it does. And and how have things been for you during this whole lockdown period? At the beginning, when I started recording the podcast, we were saying, oh, it's a few weeks of being in lockdown, but now coming up through a year, how's that experience been for you? Well, <laughs> well in the in the country markets, all, our, all of us guys in the country offices, I mean, it's been extraordinary. So we had... That sort of middle of March last year to middle of May, when we were the property market was shut, we were completely locked down as as per everybody else. And then in the middle of May, of course, the government reopened the property markets. Since which time it's been a whirlwind, um, and um, as busy as I've ever known it in my 25 years of of running around being an estate agent, um, it's been extraordinarily busy, um, which is really odd in comparison with you know other industries and other other professions etc so no we've it's been really good um we're now in a in lockdown three um and you know as you just mentioned about the this new sort of highly infectious variant so we have got plenty of clients who've said no thank you we're gonna hunker down for a few weeks and either put our house back on the market in a few weeks or or start looking again whichever whichever they're doing um but we've also got lots and lots of people who just want to get on with it um, and want to be out in the country for the spring. So it's quite a binary marketplace and quite it's, it's, a, it's an odd time for everybody, I think. Yeah, it's it's so bizarre. And and I was reading earlier in preparation for this interview, and it was saying that there was in September last year, there'd been a 125% increase in the demand for, for country property. So understandably, it's been hugely hectic for you all. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are crazy. 
the 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 stats are i mean just bananas really um and it's been an incredibly busy time for everybody and we struggle to cope if we're honest um which you know but it's a lovely problem to have um so we've got through it. everyone's worked very hard we needed the christmas break i think all of the all of the people in the country needed to sort of lie down in a dark room for for 10 days or so so that's good so we're back at it and we're all excited about getting back out in the new year and of course we're not but there you go we're all sort of slightly struggling with homeschooling um and all the rest of it but it's good fun yeah absolutely and i'm sure that we'll get on to talk about that later on in the conversation as well when we delve into the country business in more depth but to begin every podcast we take things all the way back to the beginning of your career and look at what it was that initially got you into property so would you mind giving us a bit of an insight into how you got into the industry and what was the impetus behind making that career decision yeah, very interesting. I mean, I didn't um, make a decision to get into property particularly. Um, I, I I fell into it. Um, I I was I suppose a bit of a sort of feckless youth at the in my late teens. I um I I did school, um, didn't really actually get much career advice, and didn't have any particular desire to go in one direction or another when I left school. So I did what everybody did and thought well let's go and give give uni a, a crack um can't say i fared particularly brilliantly there i managed to have two goes at university um and didn't succeed in either so um quite quickly i um i came out of that i then went and had a stint working in euro disney when it first opened um back in but that must be 1992 i guess um and that was an extraordinary experience because I, I, I was working in a restaurant, a fast food restaurant in Euro Disney for six months and just completely hectic from the minute your shift started to the minute your shift ended. It was incredibly busy and you had to, and they were, I mean, a Disney corporation are very, very strong on their customer service. You go to the Mickey Mouse University on your first day in order to get your diploma in customer service. Um, and you walk out of a badge and then, then you go and you go from there. But in terms of, learning how to deal with people whilst very busy delivering good customer service that sort of thing incredible experience um so i did that uh came back then had another go at uni didn't do very well there either um and then started working in wine bars in in london and again very similar and i think that's sort of the catering industry teaching you how to juggle balls um keep people happy be the swan um if you see what I mean, uh, such good experience. So did that for a bit. And then a friend suggested that I ought to go and speak to at that point, Knight Frank and Rutley. Uh, there was, uh, was coming out of that, that early nineties recession. Um, and there was a, a job going in our Easter office for a junior neg. So I went down, somehow talked myself into the job. Um, and off we went from there. Mm, that's such an interesting early career trajectory and I, I mean I've, I've never heard of anybody obviously people do work at Euro Disney but I've never heard of anybody taking that particular route into it and it's interesting that you said that actually gaining that experience in customer service and learning how to juggle lots of different balls and do lots of different things actually was a, a really good preparation for going into property in in some way but you mentioned there about uh, not completing uni and I'm interested to find out a little bit more how that experience 
experience impacted your career and and motivation in an email to me you said kind of in quotation marks that you'd you'd failed at uni but I think that that's um an interesting perspective on it do you think that not taking that traditional route into your career has had an impact on you in any way I'm sure it has I'm sure it has it's a really interesting question and it's a difficult one to answer in many ways I mean I think there are you fall into two camps, don't you? When you when you leave school, lots of people and lots of my friends sort of knew what they wanted to do or knew the direction they wanted to go in, very certain about what they wanted to study at un- university and maybe not what their career would be afterwards, but they sort of had a direction of travel. I didn't at all, to be honest with you. Um, I, I enjoyed um, French, so I liked speaking French, and I'd spent a bit of my gap year in France. So I spoke French pretty well. So I did French at university. But then I got there, and, you know, having – I can't say I was particularly interested in the academic side of things. Um, and I could speak French pretty well. So when I was at university, I thought, well, I didn't quite understand why I'm here. What am I doing here? Um, so, you know, if I'm honest, I got bored of it. Um, and I think that sort of – that five-year period between leaving school – and either going to university or not, that's quite an important part which sets you on your on the next stage of your career. I was working at 19, um, and actually that's what I needed. And I think what I found when I was working at Eurydice, I really enjoyed it because it was just very busy, um, probably much the same in the in the wine bars, but it, it wasn't um, it wasn't stimulating, mentally stimulating, I guess. I wasn't using my brain. And what I found when I started at, at Night Frank was, A, it was busy. B, it was something new and exciting and fun. C, it was dealing with um, people, uh, which was, the for me, the best bit. And it, so I guess it opened my eyes. And I probably also realized I needed to get down and do some hard work and crack on because I didn't have the backing of a degree. Um, I'm a great believer that once you've got yourself into a job and you're getting good at it, having a degree and having qualifications is great and helpful, but actually isn't going to make a major difference. It's more about how you prove yourself once you're doing that job. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's a really interesting perspective. And it's something that's come up a lot in this podcast when I've been doing interviews with people, whether they went to uni or whether they didn't, that actually it's a lot of people didn't intend to go into the property industry. They almost fell into it. And I think that's something that I've seen so much is that people say that no matter what your your background is, it's once you're into it, it's how you prove yourself within the industry that makes you a, a good negotiator or, or a not so good negotiator. And it is those those people skills that seem to shine above all else when it comes to people who are successful in quotation marks in the industry. Would you say that you need to be a people person in order to be successful in property? Yes. <laughs> Short answer, <laughs> Becky. Definitely. I mean, you know, it's it's an interesting one. I I'm not convinced that a state agency has much to do with property. Now that you're going to say, what on earth are you talking about? You're selling property. Yes, we are selling property, but actually we're not. We're helping people move house. Um, we're dealing with people. Um, hopefully, on the way up when life's improving. You know, they've got a job promotion. They have, they've their their family's getting bigger, whatever it is. But of course, also on the uh, in the sort of less fun parts of life, um, you're dealing with people. You're helping people. In for you, know, you don't move house that often in your life, and it's a big moment for everybody. Um, and we're right at the heart of that. Um, and it's that's the fascinating bit about it. And I think earning 
people's trust, dealing with them, um, talking to them every day very intensively for a period of time, hopefully a short period of time because you're selling the house nice, nice and quickly, but not always. So sometimes you're dealing with people for years. Um, it's it's fascinating. Um, when I first started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was sort of terrified of picking up the phone um, and you know having the confidence to know what I was talking about. But once you get into it and you you get the hang of it, you realise that it's just the most fabulous job. It's a brilliant, brilliant job, I think. Mm, and that's amazing to hear. And I mean, I can probably predict your answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think that ultimately having a people-focused property industry is far more important than one that prioritises kind of sales and transactions? You're more likely to carry out more sales and to be more successful if you're better with people. Um, so, so by being people focused, um, you you will become a better agent. I I very much learned this um, <clears throat> from that that sort of the people element of it. I learned it by being at Knight Frank. My my first boss was hugely charismatic and very interested in the people side of things. Um, almost too much, you know, too interested in the people. Um, but it was all about building relationships. Um, and fundamentally, whether you deal with with a customer once or you deal with them twenty times over a over a long career, um, it, it's 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 looking after them, it's dealing with them, it's being professional, it's going the extra mile, it's all of those sorts of buzzwords which sound a bit bland and a bit sort of obvious, but actually, if you just behave normally and and deal with them as as if they're your friends, then that's where you that, that's where it naturally leads, I guess. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it is ultimately about that rapport you develop with people, and if you make a connection with somebody, they're therefore more likely to try to transact with you in the future. And and going on from that, um, and I think you've touched on it a little bit already. But what would you then say to somebody starting off their their career now, looking to get into property, seeing your career trajectory and things, I would love to do something similar. What would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give to them? Work hard. And that doesn't necessarily mean long hours. You know, I'm not saying you need to be in the office seven till seven, if you see what I mean, every day. But work hard. Um, be helpful uh, with your colleagues. Um, sort of live it, if that makes sense. Get under the skin of whatever market you're in. So know the stats know the characters in your particular market, know the stories, um, be interested in it, want to, you know, you need to sort of want to really get under the skin of that area. Um, get in, whichever company you're working for, hopefully Knight Frank, get involved, share your ideas, help people, build relationships with your colleagues, work out how to make things better. Um, and then probably most importantly, really work on relationships with your clients and your customers. Um, look after people. Um, and I think the other thing, which does sometimes sound odd, is don't take it too seriously. Um, I'm a great believer that if people are enjoying their work um, and putting things into perspective, um, they're, they're much more likely to be good at it and they're going to stick at it for longer. 
Mm, that's a really interesting point, actually, because a few people have said something similar along the lines of not taking it too seriously and almost not beating yourself up when something goes wrong. And something I'd really like to ask you about is the value of of failure and getting things wrong, because I think so often people see it as, oh, God, something's gone wrong. I've ruined my career. It's all going to just go completely wrong from here. Do you think that there is a real importance and value in in messing things up sometimes and learning from those mistakes. Uh, absolutely, hundred percent. Things go wrong every day. If things aren't going wrong, then you're not not trying stuff. You're you're being too safe. Um, the best agents are the guys who pick up the phone. They go, "I'm going to phone X, Y, and Z," um, and it's a sort of really on the surface, really sort of crazy, probably quite stupid idea, but they do it anyway. What's that expression? Swallow the frog. You know, do the uncomfortable. Um, and if you're doing the uncomfortable, you're going to mess a lot of stuff up. But as long as you're not, you know, as long as it's not sort of a really damaging thing, what does it matter? Lots and lots of little mistakes are a good thing. And actually, we all make masses of mistakes every day. I do it or every day, all the time. Um, I think probably the agent who makes the fewest mistakes is the... Um, is is the best agent out there but they're also the ones who are trying lots of different things exciting things um putting properties to people where you think well that doesn't that's not going to make sense for them at all but what's the harm in trying um so very much so i think it's a it's a really important point and if you try to be safe then it's not an interesting career anyway and you're not going to push yourself out of your comfort zone yeah exactly and it is all about keeping your yourself interested if you keep doing the same thing then it's never going to get any more interesting and of course you're going to get bored of it after a while and looking back in those early years of your career does there is there a particular moment that sticks out where you learn a massive lesson where something maybe went wrong or something didn't go entirely to plan and you think actually that was a really important lesson that I needed to learn whether there's a specific moment I don't know I right at the start of my career um I my 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 sort of the job offer that came to me was you can come and you can work in work in our Easter office and you do every Wednesday in our Guildford office because they were short of a, a member of staff at the time plus you work Saturdays um, and we go, by the way, we've got a brand new show house that we need to sell over the summer. Uh, would you mind babysitting the, that, that show house over the summer until it sells? Um, and then once it sells, then you can go from working seven days a week, to six days a week. So I sort of gulped and went, well, oh God, okay, well, why not? I better do it because this is, this is what, you know, if I want a job at night, Frank, this is what I'm going to have to do. So I piled in and my girlfriend at the time wasn't particularly thrilled about it, I don't think. Um, but I, um, so the show house, I was, it was quite an expensive, uh, property at sort of top end of our register and all these, um, wealthy people were coming to visit me and I really had no idea what I was doing, but I quite liked the glamour of sitting in this rather splendid new house of an indoor swimming pool and all the rest of it. Um, so I did that at weekends, probably not very well. And it took about four months to sell, which is probably a month or two longer than it should have done. Um, in terms of mistakes, in, the, in those days, we used to have to measure up our own properties ourselves. Nowadays, you get a floor plan done by a clever floor plan man with an iPad, and he runs around, and it's all it all comes back looking very smart. Back in those days, we'd run around with a tape measure, and I'm not a, I'm not that's not the part of my brain that works very well. 
Um, and I particularly had to do this when I was, spent my one day a week in the Guildford office. Um, and I remember being sent off to measure up a couple of properties, got it completely wrong. Uh, probably every measurement was wrong. Didn't say anything. Um, the head of that office eventually found out that I'd, um, well, falsified the evidence, I suppose, is probably the best way of putting it. Um, and I got an absolute carpeting. And of course, he quite rightly said to me, why don't you just say you didn't know how to do it? I said, well, I don't know. I was a bit embarrassed about it because I should have known how to do it. He said, well, you don't know how to do it. If, we, if you'd been sort of trained up, we assumed that you knew how to do it. So I think probably the lesson there is if you don't know what you're doing, ask the question, ask questions, be a sponge, listen to your um, listen to your more experienced colleagues, pick up hints from how they do things. And on a practical level, if you don't know how to do something, find out. Mm, I think that's great advice. And I, I think that's a really interesting story as well, because I think everyone does get so scared, especially when those early few years of asking those questions and being that person in a meeting or in the office who puts their hand up and you're like, oh God, everybody is judging me for this decision. Um, but actually it's it's incredibly important, as you said there. And to shift the conversation slightly, you, as we said, joined Like Frank back in 1995. And in that time, you've witnessed some monumental changes, both within the firm and the wider market which would you say have been the most interesting shifts you've seen and how have you adapted to such changes over the course of your career so yeah when i joined knight frank well knight frank and rutley i did six months with knight frank and rutley before the rutley was dropped at our 100th anniversary and now of course we're in our 125th um uh, birthday year uh, which is nice synergy in some ways um we had a handful of offices in London then and a handful in the country. Um, and now, you know, whereas grapes on the residential side, you know, we've got sort of what 30 odd in London and similar in the country. So it's been huge growth from that side of things. Um, agency wise, yes, there's been masses and masses of changes, but actually I think it's broadly exactly the same now as it would have been 25 years ago. I don't think a great deal has changed. Technology's moved on. Um, and is now moving on much more quickly and I think will become uh, an even bigger part of it. And maybe we can chat about that going forward. But the the principle of, of our world is very similar. Um, actually, I'm dealing with some clients at the moment who I first dealt with, I think it was back in 1997. They moved out of London and had a, I think a one-year-old um, and were buying their first family house. And now they live uh, in a place called St. George's Hill, which is a market I look after. And they've got three children and a 24-year-old or whatever. <laughs> um, and it's exactly the same. You know, They were clients then, they're clients now. So I don't think that much in our world has changed other than probably the te technological side. But the people element of it um, is as important as it's always been, in my view. And I think that's really a really fresh perspective, actually, because I think people are so quick to say, oh, everything's changed so much. But actually, the fundamentals of the industry have remained the same. And it is just that that technological, that more uh, the more facade of the industry has changed since that time. And seemingly part of that facade is in part due to the rise in social media and the importance of cultivating a digital profile. But do you think that using social media and using it almost as a vessel for communicating with clients and boosting a reputation within the industry is essential for success going forward? Or do you think ultimately it's just a, a nice supplementary to have when it comes to the property industry and becoming successful? Uh, yes, 
an unequivocal yes. Um, so it, people want to know who they're dealing with. So being accessible and human and engaging um, is really important. And the first, I suppose, the first sort of plank of that is your your Instagram profile or your LinkedIn profile, etc. So being able to show your your customers and your potential customers who you are is really important. Being able to engage them with interesting content about you know market, what's happening in the market, stuff from our research department, all those sorts of things is very important. But it's it's probably most important thing is opening the door for you to then be able to meet that person face to face which I accept at the moment is possibly a bit harder, but we'll soon be through that. The, for me, my, I, I, my social media element, I think, when I, where I think it's paid off is when I meet a new customer and they, they know who I am before I've introduced myself because uh, they recognize my face or whatever it is. Um, that's a, a, it softens that sort of icebreaker moment, doesn't it? Um, and I think makes us much more accessible and much more human. So I think for me, social media is is very much about creating that bond with people and make it easier for us to get to know them really well on a personal level. Yeah, exactly. It's removing that that wall of unfamiliarity and saying, oh, actually, I can talk mm-hmm. to you about this because I've seen it on on your Instagram. And I think, as you said there, there is a, definitely a real value in it. But to touch back on on your career more specifically, Obviously, we're speaking now and you're going to be taking over the at the helm of the country business in a few months time. And looking back on your career, you've taken on some incredibly senior roles, looking at where you are now from where you were at the start and obviously what you're going to be doing going forward. How have you found moving into such senior roles and taking on so much responsibility? Have there been any moments of imposter syndrome? Have you been in a role and thought oh gosh I don't know if I'm ready for this or have you always felt quite comfortable moving from stage to stage throughout your career? Uh, d- uh, definitely the former rather than the latter um, I've never felt comfortable um, d- moving up the sort of the ladder as it were at all uh, no uh, you know hugely nervous uh, about it, apprehensive um, and definite feelings of imposter syndrome um, there are a lot of very able people around. Um, you know, your the customers you you deal with are very bright and capable, as are lots of the people in in Knight Frank. So, um, does do I feel that I'm on a par with them? Uh, no. However, I think my sort of technique with this is take a deep breath, trust your instincts, um, and if in doubt, say what you think. You know, speak up say an opinion you've got to that stage for a reason I guess you've been appointed to whatever role you've been appointed to for a reason um so say your say your opinion I'm fortunate I'm sort of you know a bit gobby and a bit opinionated so I can I can get it out as it were but I do you know I walk into an important meeting or whatever it is you know I do have to sort of stand up put my shoulders back and take a deep breath it's it's not easy um and I wouldn't pretend that it is Mm, and I think that's really valuable to have the self-awareness to know that while you may present as particularly confident or come across in a particular way that ultimately we are all held back a little bit by that that imposter syndrome and feeling like you don't necessarily belong where you are and is that the sort of conversation that you have with with people in your team and and junior members of, of the country business talking to them about the fact that 
it's likely that you will have those sorts of emotions and it's it's helpful to vocalize them and have that conversation around them uh, yeah and probably the, the the bit about my role that i enjoy the most um as you move into sort of management and you're looking after at the moment i'm looking after a region of six offices and then obviously from april that the, the country business the the bit that's most interesting for me is is the the people the people in my team and they're all different so you've got the very confident ones who are all gung-ho and in some ways you're slightly trying to rein them back in a bit and then you've got the ones who you know really can do it but need that arm around the shoulder and a bit of a confidence boost so it's reading each different each different person i guess um and in, you know, I, I I like to think I'm approachable, and you know, I can pe- people can talk to me and you know ask me questions and all that sort of stuff. And it's certainly the bit that I find the most interesting in my role. Um, so yeah, and I'm a, I'm a great believer that if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, so you know, our good youngsters, um, pushing them on, helping them to grow, all that sort of stuff. I I think that's a terrific part of the role. And that almost links back to to what you said throughout the conversation, which is talking about that value of people. And it just seems to crop up in in everything that you're talking about. And touching on the, as I mentioned, you going into the taking on the head of the country business role. How do you feel about that? Are you excited about taking it on? And what do you envision? What are your big plans for the taking on the role and doing things with the country business going forward? You said earlier, Becky, that you're biased about social media. I'm a bit biased about Knight Frank Country, <laughs> to be honest with you, so forgive me. Um, I'm incredibly excited. I, I sort of genuinely believe I've just landed the best job in a state agency. Um, so I, I don't want to come across as too smug, but I'm thrilled to bits about it, actually. Um, a, Knight Frank, brilliant firm. Um, B, there's something about country agency. There's something about this. It's, just, it's a distinctive part of the property world. Um, lots of characters um, working within it uh, who are great fun to to deal with Um, but also you've got that sort of that long-term move element to country property so you know people are moving they're moving their family they're they're all there they've lived in a community for years and years and years and they're downsizing because their children left home or whatever it is then you've got the buyers coming in to do that all again so there is something, um, it's, it's about people putting down roots. Um, a lot of our teams have worked in the areas and worked for Knight Frank for a very long time. Um, so it's um, it's sort of fascinating world. It's how we can help our staff to do their jobs better, make their lives easier so that they can spend more time talking and helping their customers and then equally, how can we how we can make our customers' lives easier? So how can we make their move more straightforward? Um, and sort of, if moving house can be described as fun, how can we make it fun? Mm, I love that, and it's great to hear that you feel like it's the best job in a state agency. And it's it's great that I think having that enthusiasm for a role. I think a lot of time people almost play it down a little bit, and they're like, "Oh yeah, it's great, and this is fine." But actually, having that enthusiasm is really refreshing to hear. Was it always the goal for you to be at that sort of level, or is it something that has come into your head over the last few years? I, I on, if I'm honest, I didn't think I'd be. I'd I'd get there. <clears throat> I mean, I didn't particularly have those goals. Um, I sort of nerdled my way up the ladder, I guess. And then in the last, you know, last period of my career, yes, I've started to think about it. Um, and then once you, th- once, once you think a that you can get this role, b 
be then uh, asked to do it, then of course the brain starts going into overdrive and all those ideas that have been sort of whizzing through my head for the last 25 years, you, you then want to start putting them into practice. Um, and that's the exciting bit for me. I mean, you know, there's not not going to change the world here, but there are, there are things that um, we can do to make both, as I said earlier, both our customers and our teams lives easier and, and um that's i think that's the bit that i'm most excited about actually over the next few years mm, that's great and it does sound really exciting and something else that i wanted to talk about was the fact that we're releasing we are releasing today and in a couple of weeks time some really exciting publications for the for the country business the first being the spotlight on the cotswolds which comes out today and then country view is this something that you find real value in, in for your clients is having these sorts of publications and creating this sort of content and being able to have such research rich publications to be able to send to people and talk about and use when you're communicating with clients? Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time trying to get these publications right, beautiful imagery, interesting research, hopefully some great content in them. Um, and the feedback we get from uh, customers, clients, etc., is always really positive. Um, I guess what we're trying to do with something like Cotswold Spotlight um, is just to demonstrate uh, to buyers coming into the area how what a lovely area it is to live in, um, and also to demonstrate to our clients and potential clients um, how how important we think that area is and how seriously we take it and how how much we enjoy selling houses there. With something like Country View, that's our flagship publication for the country house market across the country um, and always gets fantastic feedback. Um, so, yeah, I think they're really important. We have we do them digitally um, and in uh, paper form um, and actually both are, both are equally well received. Amazing. And we'll make sure to, to link to both publications in the show notes of this episode. And to look at homes and your home in particular in more detail, when you were looking to buy your home that you're currently living in now, what sort of factors were you considering? And why is it, was it in particular that you decided to, to buy your home? So we live in Hampshire. Uh, and I, at the moment, uh, do most of my work in Surrey. Uh, so I guess commute uh, is important. Um, I drive, um, so I'm not too far away from the M3 and I can whiz up uh, to Surrey from here. So I think location clearly is an important one. In terms of the property itself, we've moved around a bit over the years. um, And for me, the most important thing is connection to outside. So from an internal perspective, how does your house, how does your, your living room and your kitchen, etc., connect with your garden? I always think that you spend most of your time at home at weekends. Um, despite how it's been for the last few weeks, the weather is generally not a disaster in, in, in England. Um, and I like to spend plenty of time outside uh, when I'm at home at weekends. So what's the uh, what's the terrace like? What's the outside eating area like? Where's the sun? going during the day um what's your outlook what can you hear those sorts of things um and i think the properties which get that connection between inside and outside um get that right are 
are the best ones to go for. The first lockdown, if you remember, when we were locked down from March, April, May, the weather was fantastic. And it was an absolute godsend uh, being able to uh, enjoy both inside and outside. Mm, I think that seems to be a common thread with everybody talking about property at the moment is that the real value of the outside space. I think now, as you said, as we're all working from home, it is so much more important and for you is that outside space is it almost linked to your to your mental health do you find that when you're outside your your mental stability and your kind of outlook on life is is much healthier and much better very much so i don't think there's any doubt about that at all and i think you know interestingly here we are in a january lockdown um and being cooped cooped up inside is um is definitely harder and i think when you have busy days and you're stuck on the phone all day and you don't get that opportunity to get outside and get some fresh air it it does it sort of takes its toll um it's it, it life is about lifestyle uh, isn't it so if you can have that nice relaxed lifestyle um sitting in a on a doesn't the garden doesn't need to be big i don't have a particularly big garden but sitting on the terrace um with a nice outlook and some peace and quiet is um is nourishing isn't it it's good for you Mm, yeah I completely agree having moved from the countryside to London in the last couple of years I can definitely relate to to missing that outside space and for you has it always been the country have you never had any desire to to go to to London or another city has it always been countryside focused for you brought up in the uh, in the countryside um spent my 20s in London uh which is really fun really enjoyed it um but by quirk of fate, I've always sold houses outside London, <clears throat> so therefore I've so lived outside outside London whilst doing it. Um, and I think London's a fantastic uh, place to 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 live and to work. Uh, but for me, I'd rather live outside. We're five minutes from Winchester, um, which is a lovely city. And we've often chatted about would we would we go and live in Winchester? And I think it's definitely an option. You know, so you get that best of both worlds. You get that sort of town slash city living uh, whilst also being out in the countryside as well. I think there are great benefits to both. Yeah, absolutely. And looking at at kind of your, your client experiences and your, your sales and transactions throughout the course of your career, are there any particular ones that really stick in your mind? Do you look back and think, oh, I loved making that sale or I loved that interaction with that client? Which would you say has been, I thought like asking for your favourite one might be a bit difficult, but is there anyone that really sticks in your mind? Um, there are there are lots of tall tales, um, but I'm not convinced that they're all suitable for a podcast. Um, there are good numbers of um, uh, reasonably well-known people who equally I can't talk about. Um, I think I'm going to give you a general answer to that question, Becky, if that's all right. I think it's about the repeat business for me. So over the years, as I said, I said earlier, we dealt with a good number of big new build houses, um, often built by by developers who do one and then another one and then another one. Um, and over a period of you know however many years, we've dealt with those same clients time and again time and again time and again you think we well, must be doing something right if they're coming back to us each time and i think that's the really interesting bit um, and it may be you know private families as well who are moving house regularly for whatever reason um, the repeat business element of it is um fantastic you never take it for granted um but it's incredibly satisfied satisfying that people trust you to to sell their biggest asset 
um, time and again. So that would be the bit that I think is my sort of standout and most interesting, exciting thing that from my career. To begin to wrap up the podcast, we move on to a quick fire round. And the first question of which is town or village? Um, for me, village, but whatever suits one best. Classic or contemporary? Ooh, classic uh, with a contemporary twist. Cottage or mansion? Cottage. Call or email? Call. Office or working from home? Office. Instagram or LinkedIn? Ooh, LinkedIn. Walk or run? Anyone who knows me will know the answer to this question, which is walk. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> Hampshire or Surrey? Oh, Becky, that's nasty. <laughs> Had to pop that, that is one nasty. That is really <laughs> nasty. Hampshire. <laughs> Amazing. And the final question that we like to ask is that now we're entering our 125 year, and as somebody who's been here for 25 of those years, what does being a partner in property mean to you? I sort of, I think I've answered this question over the last few minutes um, as we've been chatting. It's the it, the key word for me is partner. Um, I think we do we partner our customers. Um, it is in what is more often than not a very important part, a stage of their lives, um, and whichever whatever's happening in their lives, we're their partner to help them affect their property move. Um, I think that if we do our job well. Um, which hopefully we do more often than not. I think we we play a big part um, in that move pra- on a practical perspective, an emotional perspective, and a financial perspective. Um, and that, for me, is our role. And I find it fascinating and really interesting, and I love doing it. Brilliant. James, thank you so much. Thank you, Becky. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media, and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back next Wednesday with another exciting episode.